Good morning. I <laughs> hope everyone's having a great Sunday morning. Good morning, family. Welcome back to River Valley Community Church. Um, no one likes these three rows. That's fine. That's fine. I feel like I need to move. I, I need to move forward. Everyone's back here. Lane, you don't count. <laughs> We're going to continue our journey through the Book of John, and let's go to him in prayer before we dive into it. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love you uh, lavish on us, that we are children of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we can open it, understand you, see you, respond to you, know what you've done for us, how you have saved us. And Lord, I pray when we open up the word today that you bring it to life in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, that we can love you, see you for who you are, and respond. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's happened to all of us. Sometimes it happens quite often. Sometimes it doesn't happen you know, as often as that. It's maybe every now and then. But you come across a, a part of the Bible that you just don't like. We can be honest. It happens. We come across a part of the Bible and we don't like what it says. I'm not talking about we find it hard to understand or we, we find it hard to apply to our life. That's true as well. But we come across parts of the Bible, and if we're honest, we can say, mm, I just don't like what it says. It's a little too harsh here, God. Maybe it's a little too black and white. Maybe we just don't like how counterculture it is, but we come across part of the Bible, and if we're honest, we say it rubs us the wrong way, and we're like, if I was writing this, maybe I would say it a little bit different. We've been there, right? I think we have. <clears throat> so what do you do when that happens? When you're reading Scripture, when you're reading the Bible, when you're even the very words of Jesus and you come across something he has, you don't like, what do you do? And I think we have several options on how we can respond. One option is we just ignore it. We say, well, I don't like that part. It rubs me the wrong way, so I'm not going to read it. And so now we just carve out little sections of the Bible we don't read, and we don't really act like they exist. We just ignore it and we put it to the side. But that's not really how we're supposed to approach the Bible, isn't it? I love how uh, R.C. Sproul, who was a pastor and author, he said this, when there's something in the Word of God that I don't like, the problem is not with the Word of God, it's with me. And so we just can't ignore parts of the Bible. Well, maybe we respond by saying, well, I can explain it away. I can soften it. If I think it's too harsh or it's too you know, um, bold in what it's saying, let's soften it a little bit and make it something that I'm more comfortable with. We say, wow, it's not really saying that. It's really saying this. We make it what we're comfortable with. But the truth of the Bible is never dictated with our comfort. My seminary prof uh, uh, one of my seminary professors, Douglas Grotei, said, wrote this. He says, since the truth may not be what we prefer, is revealing that so many people today ap express approval by saying, I'm comfortable with that, or express disapproval by saying, I'm not comfortable with that. Comfort is important when it comes to furniture and headphones, but it's ir <laughs> irrelevant when it comes to truth. Who are we to set our standard of comfort above the very words of God? And so we can't just explain it away or soften it. 
So maybe we just pick and choose. It's kind of related to the first one. But we say, well, we're going to decide what parts of the Bible are God's word and what parts of the Bible are not God's word. So we say, well, this part's authoritative for my life, but this part's not. And so we pick and choose based on the, what we like about the Bible, which ones we follow. Well, back in the 4th century, Augustine said this about that. He says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. All of these ways in which we approach how we can handle hard truths or things we don't like in the Bible are really us placing ourselves as judge and jury over the words of God, telling God what He can tell us. We're placing ourselves over that. And so there's one other way we can respond when we come across words or phrases or stories in the Bible that we don't like, and that is we submit to the Bible's authority as God's Word, and we seek to use His God-given gifts of intellect and scholarship to understand how it applies to our life. There's a pastor, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, who says this, If Scripture said it, God said it. And this is the stance we take here at, community, uh, here at River Valley Community Church, that we believe that the Scripture is God's Word. That if Scripture says it, when you read it, it is as if God is saying it. And so we build our, mis- uh, our ministries around Scripture. We sing songs that hopefully point to the truth of Scripture. We pray it, we read it, and we preach from it. And that is where we stand. But all of us, every single one of us, has to make decision for ourselves. How are you going to respond when you come across things in the Bible you don't like? Because if it hasn't happened yet, just give it some time as you read. It will happen. How do you respond? And in John chapter 6, we see disciples responding to what they call a hard saying of Jesus. And we see disciples responding positively, and we see disciples uh, responding negatively. And so we can learn so much about how we are supposed to respond from them. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. As we finish out this chapter, we're going to be starting in John chapter 6, verse 60. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen as we read this. This is going right after... Uh, Jesus has said, I am the bread of life, and he's, t- he's urging people that they must take of him if they want eternal life. And then, so it says this in verse 60. And when many of his, his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? 
and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the, Simon of, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, is, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The words of eternal life have eternal authority. They convict disciples, change character, and determine conduct. That's my summary right there of what this passage is telling us, that the words of eternal life have eternal authority, that Jesus has these words, that he, they're from God himself, and that they last forever as if God is speaking and they have authority for our life as well. And if we accept that Jesus' teaching uh, is the truth for words of eternal life, that we filter the whole Bible, interpret the whole Bible through who he is and what he has done. And as such, that they start convicting us. They show us of our sin. They show us the truth of who he is. They actually make us people of conviction that we have a firm foundation on which we stand. They change our character. They reach inside our hearts and change it little by little so that we can follow him. And not only that, but they start changing how we live in this life. They determine our conduct. The words of eternal life have eternal authority. They convict disciples, change character, and determine conduct. We're going to see how that is true through this passage as people respond to who Jesus is and what he sa- how he says he is. Because these are words of authority in which he's teaching. But words of authority can be hard to receive. Because again, they rub us the wrong way sometimes. We don't like being told sometimes the truth or what to do. But I love Jesus because he does not shy away from this hard truth. He presents it clearly and plainly. How do you think people generally responded to Jesus' teaching? Like if you get a picture in your head, how do you think people responded? I think most people think it was a more uh, positive experience. Because they know that crowds liked him and people followed him and they wanted to hear from him. And they know that even nowadays people who don't profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they still would say he's a good teacher and he taught good things. And so they say, man, he must have really just been winning people over mind and soul and that they responded positive with him. And so maybe we get this picture that when people are listening to Jesus teach, they're nodding their heads in agreement. Maybe they're saying, give me some amen, and you know, amen, hmm. Maybe the more bold among them were saying, preach it, to as Jesus was talking to them. I think that might have been true. There's definitely some cases when he taught and people were hanging on his every word. But that's not always the case. Because sometimes Jesus taught hard things that made people want to pick up rocks and throw them in his face. That happened several times. He taught hard truths harsh truths, the reality that He is the end-all, be-all, that He actually is God come in the flesh. He taught hard truths where He took the book of Isaiah and said, this Messiah, the suffering service that, that's predicted, I'm Him. It's fulfilled in your midst. And how did people respond to Him saying that? They picked up rocks and they were going to kill this guy. That's how people responded sometimes. And so we see that it's not always just they, they, they responded positively, but people struggled with some of what Jesus taught. Because it's true, with every good teacher, they stretch you. They force you to think in different ways. Isn't that true? Think about the greatest teachers you've ever had. Not, the easy, not the, your favorite, because knowing this crowd is probably going to be your easiest teacher. No. Good teachers, great teachers, what do they have in common? 
They stretch you. They expand your mind. They take, they take what you thought you knew and kind of flipped it upside down, right? And they got you thinking for yourself. That's what a great teacher does. I had so many brilliant professors in seminary who loved, it seemed like they loved to do this, and, it, and they were really skilled at doing this. They took your preconceived notions, and then they just smashed it against Scripture. And you're just left going, wow, this is really uncomfortable because you start having to think again about what you thought you knew about the Bible or what you thought you knew about God, and you have to go back and build it back up. Because good, great teachers, they stretch you, they make you think, they teach hard truths. And it's the same with Jesus, that he taught hard truths, that he confronted people with what they thought they knew, and he challenged it, that he was showing people that the whole Old Testament pointed to him, that he took peoples in their system of religion, and he says, that's not important. Look to me for salvation, not that. He taught them hard things. And that is where this account in the book of John picks up. After Jesus teaching them, and people are thinking about what he said, and they say, man, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? What was hard about his teaching? He's, he's bringing up the truth that he's the bread of life and that people need him to have eternal life. That he's saying, hey, that even the manna of heaven that was God gave to Israelites back in the day pointed to him that, that God sent Jesus to save people. And he says, hey, you, we can't save ourselves, but only God can save us. This is the hard truth he's presenting. And when we read that hard truth, it's not like they don't understand that word hard doesn't mean they found it complex and they were struggling to wrap their minds around it. It's more likely it should be translated like harsh or offensive. As we see Jesus said, you're offended by this? What do they find offensive about this truth? Imagine the, the paradigm-shaking truth that he was presenting to them. Put yourself in their shoes as a, as a Jewish person in the early turn of the century, and you're sitting there and you listen to Jesus, and you start realizing, wow, maybe this guy is more than a miracle worker who gives out a free lunch. Maybe there's something more to him. And he's speaking in such a way that drives to the very heart of the matter and not everything else you want to hang on to. And so you start maybe asking some questions and maybe ask Jesus some questions. Say, hey, hey, Jesus, are you saying this is not about food or politics or even miracles themselves, but it's about spiritual realities that only you can solve? He says, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Are you saying that, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of all we know of God? You're the greater Moses, the greatest prophet, the prophet that, we, that we, he, 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 uh, he prophesied was to come? And Jesus says, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Are you saying, Jesus, that <clears throat> you are the only way to God? That what we thought we knew about how to serve God and honor God now has to be submitted to you and come under a new paradigm of following you, that you're its fulfillment? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Jesus says. Are you saying, Jesus, that we need to believe in you and only you for our salvation? That we need to figuratively, have you just said, feed on you as the bread of life? And Jesus says, yeah, that is what I'm saying. He was turning their whole 
view of what it meant to follow God and what it meant to have a righteous life on upside down and on its head. Because he was making it clear that all this stuff that came before now has to be interpreted through him who is the bread of life that gives life when people consume, take in who he is. Everything they thought they knew was now being called into question and being reinterpreted by Jesus. And that is offensive to them. Because if you just imagine, if you held a deep ingrained belief and someone came up and started to question it and stretch you and make you rethink it, make you kind of reinterpret it, that gets uncomfortable and it gets offensive. And that was what Jesus is doing as he's teaching them. He's giving them offensive truth because he tells them, you can't save yourself. You can't do it on your own. He's pointing to the fact that they, that they need a Savior. And that rubs them and it rubs us the wrong way. We much rather have someone come to us and say, you just need a little bit of help. Here's a little bit more discipline, a little bit more self-help, a little bit more control over your life, self-control, and you'll be fine. But Jesus come and he doesn't say that. He says, you don't need help. You need life. For you're dead without me, and you'll stay dead without me. For without me, that is where you are and where you will always be. But if you come to know me, you will have life and life eternal. That if you feed on me, consume me, take me into your life, then you will be forever changed and I will carry you to the end. People rubbed against that. They rejected it. They said, who can listen to this harsh teaching and you got to love Jesus because he doubles down there then. At the very beginning of this passage, people say, this is a harsh teaching. Who can listen to it? And Jesus doesn't respond like by saying, oh guys, you, got, you took me the wrong way. I didn't mean that. No, 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 guys. Maybe if you just look at it this way, you'll feel better about it. No, Jesus says, huh, you find this offensive? Wait until you realize who I truly am. For if anything offends us, is the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus has come down from heaven and he's going to ascend. And he looks at these people who were offended that they needed to believe in him and says, you will find that offensive when you realize that I am God himself. You will be really ticked off. For I'm saying I am the only way. I am saying I am the Lamb of Heaven who takes away the sin of the world. I am saying that when you believe in me, you can be connected to back to you, the God, the Father, like you were made to be connected to Him in the beginning. That He is the exclusive way back to God. Because Jesus' identity that He is God, that He is the Son of God, <coughs> excuse me, in the flesh, is offensive to us because we have to come to grips with it and we can't, Jesus says, unless we're given that truth by the Spirit. Jesus says, the flesh is no help to you at all in this. You can't understand it. You can't do it. You can't achieve enough. This life has to be given by the Spirit. And again, that's kind of offensive, isn't it? I can't do it. 
I can't well up enough to understand. My intellect can't grab it. My heart can't be pure enough to understand it. Jesus, you're saying that it has to be given to me by the Spirit, and that's offensive. It rubs us the wrong way because we want some control in our salvation. We want to wrap our hands around it because if we had some control, had some say in it, if it was about our flesh, then we could have some self-autonomy. We could have some self-rule. We could have some way where we think we're still doing it on our own. And to this, Jesus says, no, None of that exists. Only the Spirit, the Spirit I send, can connect you back to me. You have to understand who I am only by the Spirit. It's who Him who gives life. It's offensive. Jesus is looking at him and says, you, you have to realize that life, the breath of life is a gift from you. The first breath you took was a gift to me. Every single breath since then is a gift from me. The last breath you'll take on this earthly plane is a gift from me. And it's the same way with eternal life. It's a gift from me, freely given to those who would believe. And that only happens because the Spirit is at work. And that offends sinful, prideful humans. That's all of us, because we want to control it. We want some say. And Jesus says, when you realize that I am God, you'll see that how true this is, that I speak with the authority of, of God. It's harsh because we realize we don't earn it. We can't earn it. We don't have what it takes and Jesus is saying, you don't have what it takes to get to God. You just can't do it. Man, harsh Jesus. What a killjoy. But, and that's the sweetness right there, but, he says, if you believe in me, if you consume the bread of life, if you know who I am, I will take you to the end. Realizing the harsh reality of our sin and the place that we stand on our own makes the glorious truth of the gospel that much sweeter. That he saves us from the darkest place to bring us to his heavenly grace. And this is the testimony again and again we saw, have seen through the book of John. This is the same truth that Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in chapter 3. Is the same thing we can find again and again on every page of the Bible that salvation is from God, that we were dead and sins and trespasses, but were brought to life in Christ. That we love, why? Because God first loved us. That we can claim with Paul how great is the love of God, that he makes us children of God, and that is what we are. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift for redemption as in Christ Jesus. That But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works of righteousness, but because of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again and again, the Bible speaks that word, that salvation is from God. And that is what Jesus is saying. Again and again, God saves you. And to this, some of the disciples, people who've been following Jesus, found this harsh, offensive. And they turned their back because they couldn't take it. They walked away from the words of eternal life because it offended their sensibilities. 
It would be laughable if it wasn't so tragic. It would be laughable when we confront people and we see them doing the same thing today. That they, get, they see the words of life, that we share it with them or they've heard it before and they, they're offended because it rubs them the wrong way and they turn and walk away. How tragic is that? They cannot see the truth for who he is and respond in kind. And Jesus, seeing these people walk away, he turns to the twelve and he says, do you want to go away as well? This is, this is not Jesus having a pity party because his church was cut in half or something like that. This was not Jesus doubting whether they would say or not. It says very, very clearly he knew who was going to be with him. He knew who was going to betray him. But this is Jesus asking the question that all people who come to Jesus must be asked. Are you going to follow me even when it's hard? You love when you compare this gospel with the other gospels like Gospel of Luke. People would come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And we're like, oh, man, Jesus would probably say, hey, follow me. Come on, this is going to be easy. No. What does Jesus say? Whoa, count the cost. People come up to follow Jesus and say, hey, the birds have nests and the fox have burrows, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. People come up to follow Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I just need to go and you know, do a, uh, a funeral for my dad. No, no. What does he say? Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Talk about harsh. He says, count the cost. Think about this. Why? Because when we are disciples and we're following Jesus, we realize we need to count the cost. Because there will be a cost. Yeah, we have great benefits. <laughs> we're going to be taken to heaven. We're going to be with our God. He's blessing us right now. He's orchestrating the whole world for our benefit to grow like Christ. Talk about great benefits, but it's not easy and it's hard because he uses hardship to grow us and there'll be, ca- there'll be costs when we seek to follow Christ. Why? Because we'll have to put him above other things. Maybe it means the shows we watch on TV, we can't watch anymore because we say, ah, to be a faithful disciple, I can't do that. Maybe it affects our business practices where we used to do one thing, we now cannot do that anymore because a faithful disciple would not act like that. Maybe our interactions at work would be changed because we're like, I can't do that anymore. Maybe how we drive would be changed because we cannot exercise our road rage anymore on innocent victims. Because following Christ forces us to submit to his authority the words of eternal life, and it has consequences. And so we need to count the cost. Do we really want to follow him? Across this globe right now, there are countless people who counted the cost and thought it was worth following Christ. As they're going to the executioner block, as they're being thrown into prison, as they're being, as their churches are being demolished, as secret police are raiding church services, they counted the cost, they knew what was going to happen and said, worth it across this globe there's there's missionaries who now are being banned from china i just i just read about a missionary who got a 10-year ban but he's appealing it and so maybe it'll be a life year lifelong ban because he chose it was worth it to preach the gospel and to all of these people nowadays and to his 12 disciples jesus says count the cost do you 
want to turn away as well. Makes us think, is there something that would cause us to turn away from Christ and head the other way? But then we see Simon Peter, who you got to love, as he again gives voice to the words of a true disciple, as he says, <coughs> excuse me, as he says back to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In Peter's response, we see the response of a true disciple. They accept the hard teachings of Jesus, and they respond, you are the only one with the words of life. You are the only one that can save us. You are the Holy One sent by God. Why would we seek anyone else to listen and learn from? <clears throat> and so we see not only that he is confessing that Jesus has the words of eternal life, the words that will bring someone to know God as they're made to be known by God and for God, but also he sees Jesus for who he is, the Holy One sent by God. The recognition that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the one that every page of the Bible testifies to and promise, and the one that we have been, they've been waiting for, and the one that we have seen come and still is reigning in our lives and saving us, the one that completes and accomplishes God's redemption and salvation plan. And so we understand that as Peter understood this. And so we see this and we say true disciples respond like Peter. There's two ways in which I think he responded. And the first one is that true disciples confess. They state the truth of who they believe Jesus to be. And they say, Jesus has the words of eternal life. Like Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. Who will we go to? And so a true disciple says, these right here, interpreted through the lens of who Jesus Christ is, are the words of eternal life. That when we need to know how we should follow God, we need to organize our life, that we need to live, we turn to these because they help us and guide us because they show the plan that God en enacted from the very beginning. They show how Christ has fulfilled it. And they showed the, imp the implications and the ramifications that we need to be living out presently today. These are the words of a life. And we confess this, that Jesus Christ has saved us. And we know this true because we have the words of God in front of us. So do you believe in Christ? Do you confess that He is the way, the only way to know God and that we, the only way we can truly know Him is through God's Word? True disciple confess that. But then true disciples are committed. When the going gets tough, they stay with Jesus. When the going gets hard, even listening to Jesus, they stay with Jesus because they know he has the words of eternal life, that there's nothing that's going to shake them in following Jesus. And I love this because it's Peter who says this. You have the words of life. We're not going to turn away. I'm with you till the end. And what do we know about Peter? He wasn't with him till the end. When the going got really tough, when the soldiers came, where did Peter go? He hit the highway. He ran away. He was running for his life. And then it kind of slinks back and kind of watches from the distance. And I love this because it gives hope for us. Because there will be times when we fail. Our commitment will fail and we will 
fall to the ground and we cannot follow as we should follow. But the grace of God abounds and when he, he restores Peter into his following him, he can restore us all the time when we make mistakes and we fall short. But the question is to have that heart of commitment to follow him no matter what. Are you a disciple who's, who confesses the truth and is committed? Because the words of eternal life have eternal authority. They convict. Disciples change character and determine conduct. Remember, disciples confess and committed, but this does not come from their own strength. This does not come from their own abilities to pick it up and endure. No, it came from, as a grace of God by the Spirit when she brought them into uh, life in Christ and it unites us to Christ. The words of eternal life have eternal authority, which means we put ourselves under them. That means each one of us, if we're disciples, we should ask ourselves, do we place ourselves under the words of eternal life? Jesus' words, the words of God, do we place ourselves under them? And we know that the words of eternal life, they convict disciples, they convict, they present the truth, and we have to be confronted with the truth. And when we are lacking, when we are short, we, are, we recognize our, our shortcomings. We recognize that we don't live up to it. And so we confess our sins, and they convict us. They show us the way we should go, the way we should live, the way we should respond to hardships, the way we should love people. Not only that, but the words of eternal life that have eternal authority, they don't only convict us, but they make us people of conviction that we now have ground to stand on. And nothing's going to move us because we know these words are sure. That we're no longer jellyfish. You guys don't know what a jellyfish is? It doesn't have a spine. No structure. It goes with the times. The current goes this way, it goes that way. But now we become people of conviction that we stand on the word and will not be moved. <clears throat> so the words of eternal life have that ability when we submit to them to make us people of conviction who follow no matter what. And they change our character they don't just work on our mind where they change our convictions. No, they work on our heart from the inside out where our affections are changed. We start to love the things of God which we used to not like. We start to follow Him and, and want to long for Him in our lives. And so our hearts are changed bit by bit from people who were rebels to now willful servants seeking to honor Him in all of our lives. Our hearts are changed towards other people as well where we before, maybe we're offended by other people and saw them as roadblocks in our way. We now see them as people made in the image of God that need to be loved and cared for. Our character is changed. And then they determine our conduct. That that change doesn't just stay in our heart or in the mind, but how we live every single day is changed as we submit to the words of eternal life that we apply them to our life, and that means how we act and how we live cannot be the same as this world. How we do relationships is not the same as this world. How we do business is not the same as this world. How we do anything under the sun is not the same as the people of this world because we know that God has the final say. And this all comes through the life that's given to us through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. 
that God does it. He saves us. He changes us. He redeems us. He recreates us. He transforms us. He leads us. Every single thing is done by the power of God working in our lives as we believe in him and place ourselves under the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life have eternal authority. They convict disciples, change character, and determine conduct. Which means we need to know these words. Submit to these words. Follow these words. Let's pray. Dear Father, praise be to your name. Praise be to your name that you love us and have given us not just your Son that saves us, but also your Word in which we can follow your Son, know your Son, and respond to everything he's done for us. Lord, we pray, I pray for everyone here, for River Valley Community Church, for this, this body, that we follow you no matter what. That we can be disciples who seek to apply your Word to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Lord, work in us. Show us the way. Show us what you have done and lead us in your way. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.